Hi, guys. I am so excited to present this podcast to you by Jessica Setnick. For those dietitians listening, um, you probably know Jessica Setnick because she really is an expert in the field of eating disorders. And I don't use that term lightly. I really don't. And I hope you could hear it in my voice that I'm so excited and I feel so lucky and blessed that she she was gracious enough to come on the podcast because she's very humble, but she is very um, she's very sought after. And I've taken her. I took her eating disorder boot camp, which was recommended to me by my own supervisor, Dina Cohen, who's an eating disorder specialist. And it really blew my mind, the layers and layers and layers of eating disorders, which I already knew on some level, but I really didn't know to that extent. And yes, that's why we're all here learning and growing together and trying to implement our new knowledge into our practice, into our daily living. Um, But you know what? I said this last week on the podcast that I try really hard to make the podcast fun and light and and as well as educational. And I try to bring on people who are interested in that organic conversation. I like to know the whole story, how they got to where they got to. That's just really interesting to me. Um, and I love to hear that story. And she shared so many details of her story and so many highs and lows and so important for people to hear. So important for people with eating disorders to hear. So important for people struggling with with eating disorders or just any form of disordered eating, working through the steps of intuitive eating. And I hope you pay attention to the fact that we really touched upon the nuances with intuitive eating, health at every size. I love what she said um, about uh, language and linguistics, just learning like how we use a language, how we use wording, especially we know from the Torah that we pull apart every single word, every single shorash, every single word can have multiple meanings. And she's so, you'll hear, you'll hear what I'm talking about in the episode, but it's true. Intuitive eating, health at every size, these are just words, right? But they're representing a gigantic concept, a gigantic um, format in our life. So I just want, I, I want to bring that to this podcast so badly that there's so much nuance. And and Paige Smathers talks about this a lot on her podcast. And the first time I heard it, it really resonated with me. And I'm trying to share that message as well, that every person is different. Every story is different. Every plan of care is different. Every situation is different. And my job as the dietitian and the intuitive eating counselor is to understand the nuance, understand the differences in people and their care and their life and their story. And um, that's what I'm trying to bring here today. So sit back, enjoy the episode. It's 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 very rich with um, information as well as just conversation. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you're looking to make peace with food, learn the principles of intuitive eating and self-care, visit my website, www.gulaglassberg.com. You could sign up for a free 20 minute consultation to make sure that we're a good fit to work together. And if you're looking just for other content, there's plenty of other podcast episodes on my website as well as here get into it with gila anywhere where you listen to podcasts you could hear that um, most of the episodes are also on youtube and on igtv so check that out as well don't forget to subscribe and comment and share and like and that is the way that we spread this message and that other people can find this information so thank you for being here today and enjoy the show Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. 
It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Okay, hi everybody. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have Jessica Setnik. Hi, Jessica. Hello. And I have been like dying to interview you. I was a little shy to even ask you because you're sort of like my role model. Um, I took your um, eating disorder bootcamp class because my supervisor, Dina Cohen, told me to. And I was, honestly, I was blown away by the, the depth that you presented. And even I'm blown away by the depth of eating disorders, but the way that you presented it, I mean, I mean, I went to school for many years, have my master's in nutrition and like, that was a whole new realm of learning. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And that's a nice compliment to me. And it's also kind of the opposite of a compliment on dietetics education. Yes. You get any of that in school. That's a bummer. It is. It is a bummer. Um, actually, yeah, just, I wasn't planning on saying this, but it's, it's weird how when I was in my undergrad and my internship, I, I asked my supervisors, you know, I'm interested in eating disorders and they would hand me a flyer, like a Renfrew flyer here and there. But like, even the core, even the class that covered eating disorders, there was a, there was a big emphasis on, there's like a big mental component, but there was no like nitty gritty. What do we, how do we treat it? Well, and a big part of the problem is, and this, you got actually better advice than this, which was sort of no advice, um, but I've heard of a lot of people who, when they were in school, were, were told, no, there's no role for dietitians in that, or there's no jobs in eating disorders for dietitians, or no, no, you shouldn't be do, doing that. And so it's actually discouraged, which I think is so unfortunate because there's such a huge role for dietitians, especially dietitians who want to do the work. Right. So my, just shortly, my own journey was that I struggled with disordered eating when I was a teenager. And then, so it was natural for me to become a dietitian. And then when I, when I did present that to my supervisors, they were like, uh, they're really hard to treat. They're really not treatable. Um, you have to really be, you know, willing to know that. And I was like, I'm not going to touch that. That's too scary. But then to, just start, you know, I practice from an intuitive eating lens. I did not learn about intuitive eating in school either, unfortunately. And it was just so like, you know, so many of us in the profession go through that like cognitive dissonance where we're like, we're taught this, but this doesn't work at all. Agreed. And also just the idea that it's like us and them instead of everyone who eats could have eating problems. It's not some identified group of people, especially since most people with eating disorders don't get diagnosed. So I don't know. It's just unfortunate. I mean, I keep seeing these statistics that say basically one out of eight or one out of 10 people has an eating disorder. So it is perfect word to explain why it's something that we only have to really find out about after the fact, even though we're taught to help people with their food and eating, we're just not taught a lot about eating disorders. So I am really glad you found eating disorders bootcamp and that it filled a need. But what's interesting is that I stopped teaching eating disorders bootcamp maybe around 
2013, I think at some point I stopped doing the live workshops because there was a recording and, you know, people who wanted to do it could listen to the recording. And I never thought I would start doing it again. I just assumed that eventually it would get picked up by the curriculum. And so when I started doing it again, it was sort of shocking to me. Um, I started doing it again in 2016. So maybe I stopped doing it in 20, 2007 and then started again in 2016. I revamped it and I made it Eating Disorders Bootcamp Next Generation. So it had more and was different. But, but my point is, I never thought I would go back to teaching it because I just assumed that it would become incorporated into the curriculum and that outside of school training would not need to exist anymore. And that did not get true, even a little bit. No. I mean, I only graduated in 2015, but there was no, no integration. So could you just tell us, like, how did you, how did you become interested in eating disorders? Was that, was that always your passion? Was that always your career goal? Well, I don't think it was outwardly, but I found a report I wrote in high school where we could pick any topic. There was a class called Social Problems of the 20th Century, and I chose eating disorders. And then um, when I was in college and I was actually getting my degree in anthropology, I wrote a lot of reports on eating and eating disorders. That was the aspect of anthropology that really intrigued me. Anthropology being, you know, the development of humans and how we, we sort of develop our cultures. And then to me, eating is sort of, a, you know, how we develop our own eating style. And so it fit perfectly to me. Um, and so I took nutrition as an elective and then realized this is what I want to do. And I decided I wanted to be a sports nutritionist. So I ended up with my master's in sports nutrition, but at somewhere along the line, and now maybe it's the same in 2015, sadly, but at least in 1995, when I was going through school to become a dietitian, the only area of practice where you could really talk about the psychology of eating, the way people make their choices, the culture of eating, that was in the eating disorder field. So I transitioned from sports nutrition to eating disorders, which of course there's tons of overlap, you know, and there's overlap with eating disorders in every area right. just because it's food, right? right. But, but that's how I got interested in eating disorders as a career is basically by realizing that I was interested in nutrition and the choices people make and the psychology of eating. And eating disorders was really the area of dietetics that that was most talked about. Now, granted, I think all of those things should be talked about in diabetes care and in oncology. Mm -hmm every aspect of dietetics. But again, it was just, I sort of gravitated to the area. This is what we're talking about is the eating behaviors. And so that's how I got to specialize in eating disorders. Wow. So when you first started working as an eating disorder dietitian, what, what was your first job? So my first job was really a dream job. I had done an internship for peds with our children's hospital and they had decided to open an eating disorder program. So I was hired as the first eating disorder program dietitian. There was um, a dietitian who was there a couple hours a week before me and had gotten things rolling. And then I took over from her and the budget was only for a part-time dietitian in the eating disorder program. And, a part, and so they patched it together with part-time in the endocrine unit. So I did those two jobs together as one job until the eating disorder program just grew completely out of control. Mm -hmm. Huge because there wasn't anything in our area for children with eating disorders. So at some point I was just overwhelmed and ended up sort of plotting my exit strategy, which was to go into private practice seeing kids with eating disorders. And then it just went on from there. 
So did you, when in your first job, did you know how to treat, like, how did you know how to treat eating disorders with the limited education that we have? So the first thing was to me, someone with an eating disorder is just someone who needs nutrition education and counseling, right? So in the sense that I didn't feel like it was anything special. I know that maybe sounds nuts, but it just made sense to me, like where I maybe struggled to, you know, remember if people with, you know, end-stage renal disease can't have potassium or phosphorus. I might've mixed those up. When it came to eating disorders, there's really no special nutrition someone needs. It's more a puzzle. Like why aren't they eating what they need and how do we move them toward eating what mm -hmm. they need? Mm -hmm. so to me, that made perfect sense. And I can't explain why. I mean, I, I think it's just my tikkun, you know, it's just where I was meant to be. Um, but that's, that's what I was able to do is just sort of look at someone's situation and just, and I hate to say, look at it with common sense, Maybe it was looking at the person as a person and how did you get in this situation? Like here you are a person who, you know, for the most part, I would say not everyone in my care, but for the most part, you know, you have access to adequate food. Um, you have, you know, a family who serves food at appropriate times. Why aren't you eating it? And we had to just boil it down. Is that something, you know, is there some other aspect? Is it an aspect in your own mind? And because I had this really awesome treatment team, I learned so much from them. So there were, there was this dietitian that was right before me who had just sort of gotten the ball rolling. There was an amazing nurse. There was an amazing nurse practitioner also. There were amazing therapists. There was an amazing psychiatrist. So I learned from all of them and I did evaluations together with the psychiatrist every Tuesday for two years and really learned from him a lot. So I think it was just the best case scenario for me that the maybe gifts or skills or whatever you want to call it that I walked in with, not necessarily the dietetics education, but that was there, mm -hmm. um, brought with me and then the people that were there. And the way I looked at it, my salary in the hospital was actually a little bit lower than what I had been making as a secretary working part-time it, right. you know, during my internship. And, my, and, and a lot of my friends had gone to school like this, my college friends, the same time period I was getting becoming a dietitian, they were going to law school. So basically, we all set out into the work world at the same time. And I was getting, in my mind, I was getting underpaid by about 30 grand. Like that was probably wow. the difference between what they were getting paid and what I was getting paid, even though we were equally smart, we had all been to the same amount of school. So in my mind, if I was getting underpaid by 20 or 30 grand a year, I thought of it as a fellowship. I thought of it almost as me paying my dues to learn. Mm -hmm. and I really tried to take every opportunity that was available to me in the hospital to learn. I went to Grand Rounds and I I just tried to, to do everything I could, participate, volunteer on the committees, whatever it was, so that, that those years that I spent working in the hospital were really going to launch me into the next thing. And I'm not trying to say that I used that job as a stepping stone and they didn't get all the work that they paid for out of me. I was not a slacker. Mm -hmm. I was the job in that sense. I did my job. I did it great. And they had to replace me with dietitians, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> with how many? Five. Five dietitians. One had to take over my job in the endocrine clinic. One had to take over my job in the IOP program. One had to take over my job in the inpatient unit. One had to take over my job in the day treatment unit. That program had just grown so wow. big in the years that I worked there. So so to me, it was it was a win-win. I mean, the hospital got a 
really dedicated employee and I got a really important education that I obviously didn't get in school. Right. And that's sort of like where the supervised practice sort of has its place, but you have to really have, you, it does sound like you're very lucky in the sense that you had that support. Cause I've been, whatever, I've worked in other areas of um, clinical dietetics and I, I wasn't, I felt like that's why I eventually went to private practice. Cause I felt like sometimes the dietitian is at odd with the rest at odds with the rest of the treatment team, unfortunately, but it doesn't sound like that was the case at all. And it does sound like you had like a natural knack towards that, that job. Yeah. Well, and I will, I am not going to say that I always agreed with everything that was done, but I felt like my voice was respected. Now it wasn't respected in the hospital in general. I felt like it was really demeaning in a, a lot of senses working in the hospital setting um, and things that are, there's probably no point in even rehashing them at this, you know, together today. But the team that I worked on, yes, I felt like, like a very important part of the team and they looked to me for recommendations. And when I said things like, um, I don't think we should use the word ideal body weight. And remember this was in, let's see, like 1998. So this was a long time ago when I said, I don't think we should use the words ideal body weight. And they said, what do you think we should use? And I would say estimated healthy weight minimum because these are children and they're still growing. And if we give them a range, then they want to stay in the range, but they're mm -hmm. growing. So the range has to go and that's not, they don't really understand. Um, so there was that, you know, I felt really respected. And then I remember one of the nurses was using, I think the word consumption. And I was like, I don't think any children know what the word consumption means. You know, I just, there was, there were things that I felt like I was really able to bring to the team and, and they were really receptive and even, okay, this is just like a interpersonal thing. But I remember when I first started, one of the nurses would say, Katie Bradley was the name of the dietitian that was there before me. And so they would say, well, Katie Bradley did it this way. And I don't know how I got the courage to like at one day pull her aside and say, when you say that, it hurts my feelings. Cause I feel mm -hmm. like you're saying she did it right. And I did it wrong. And she said, huh? And she thought, about it. she said, you know what, from now on, I'm going to say, this is the way we've done it in the past. I'd like to know what you think about that. Or I'd like to know how you'd like to do it moving forward. And so, I mean, it was a really respectful, like mentally healthy team, which is not yeah. always. Right. So, right. Yeah. So in that sense, yes, I was really lucky that, that they were willing to teach me and learn for me, you know, recognize mm -hmm. that we all had different strengths to the table. Yeah. I love that because it really does like individualize or personalize the care because just like the patients are not just a case, they're a person struggling, like the, the, the treatment team are people who are, you know, involved in the care. So that's, I think, I, I think you even said this in your, in your boot camp that the way that we behave is the way we model for our clients. So that's a perfect example, really. <laughs> okay. So, so then you decided at that time, you decided I'm going to start my own private practice. Right. So what happened was I became overloaded. So, you know, they had started with this two patient maximum in eating disorder or two patients with eating disorder diagnoses in the psychiatry unit. And then it just kept growing and they kept, you know, opening new programs. And so I, I told my boss that I was really overwhelmed and I thought we should hire more dietitians, which nobody, that's the part where I said, like, just working in the hospital, I did not feel in general respected. Uh, so I was told, okay, prioritize the most acute patients. So it's like I said, I was every Tuesday morning, I would do evaluations with the psychiatrist, Dr. Waller. And if we met with a patient in their family or a child in their family and decided they weren't 
acute enough to need one of our programs, that they weren't going to become one of our patients, then I would give them, I had typed up um, two names of two therapists and two dietitians I knew that would see children with eating disorders. That's all we had in this area that I knew. Of. And so I would give that paper to the you know, we don't think that right now your child needs one of our hospital programs, but here is a names and two therapist names. It would be important to set your child up with an appointment with one of each of these. And so that was the, that was how I, I was prioritizing the acute, most acute patients would see me outpatients instead of me also seeing outpatients, they would then see someone else. And so over time, maybe I handed that piece of paper out, you know, 30 or 50 times. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wait, why? my name on that paper and someone else is handing out my name because mm -hmm. I can better, better than I think we're doing it here in the hospital, at least for that level of outpatients. And mm -hmm. I can always refer someone to the hospital for, you know, if they need that, because I know how the system works. And so that's how I transitioned into private practice. I think what I did was I started seeing a couple patients, adults only though, so it wasn't a conflict in my mind, in the evenings and on weekends. And then I put that money in the bank and then as that little nest egg grew, I was able to transition to less time at the hospital and eventually went into private practice full time. Wow. So, so this is more like a, a business question or like a personal question, but like, were you like, like, I don't know if there were so many private practice, especially eating disorder dietitians then, like, were you, did, did you have any, like, how did you know how to do that? Basically, like, were you nervous? So I'm trying to think. Was I nervous? I wasn't nervous because two reasons. And it's funny because I have to like really think back. What was it like? Part of it was that I was so frustrated with my hospital job. It was sort of like something's got to give anyway. Mm -hmm. And the other part was, I think I always knew I would want to be my own boss. And I had a lot of entrepreneurism in my family. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't now, I will say my mom cried when I told her I was going into private practice because she said, I don't want you to have an unhappy life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she obviously had something else in mind. But I think there were other people in my family who were really supportive of entrepreneurism. And maybe I was just, you know, too naive to know what I didn't know. But I, I you know, again, Beshert, I mean, I, I moved into an office suite where one of the other people in the office suite was an attorney. And I would just walk down the hall and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And he would give me great advice. So wow. I was really lucky in that sense. And I mean, one day the, I worked in a bank building and the new bank manager walked up to my office and said, I want to be your banker when you make a million dollars a year. So I'll be your banker now. And I was like, okay, well, good luck to that. Did you know I'm a dietitian? <laughs> I still don't make anything close to a million dollars a year, but he's still <laughs> Wow. Yeah, you know, 20 something years later. And so like when I had to let go of an employee, like I went down to his office and cried about it, you know, at the bank and he gave me advice. So I just, you know, really amazing mentors were placed in my path. Um, but I also think I, I didn't make things harder than they had to be. So mm -hmm. it, when I decided I would go into private practice, it was like, okay, get a business card. Well, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to exist. And mm -hmm. a separate bank account to put that money in. And mm -hmm. like I and have a special business structure until a year or two later. I guess I just didn't, it was sort of like, I could always go back to work at the hospital. And I think I would say it was a, I, I remember the fifth anniversary of when I had had started my practice. My practice started on September 1st of 2000. So it must've been like September 1st of 2005. I remember thinking, huh, 
I've been doing this for five years. I guess I'm never going back to work at the hospital. And it made me realize that for those five years, that had always been in the back of my mind. I can always go get a job back at the hospital or a hospital. Mm -hmm. So that's what made me feel really safe is just that nothing's ever for a dietitian. I mean, there's always a job. So if right. I go back and have a job, that wasn't going to be a problem. Right. Right. I hear that. Yeah. I remember saying that a lot also, like I could always go back to my nursing home jobs, even though I hated every minute of working in a nursing home. Um, but yeah, I guess that cushion, you know, it's, but I, I do believe in like following, following your dreams and, and it was obviously a calling for you, this, this field, just because yeah. of the anthropology and nutrition, like who would have thought that that was like the path, but it really does make sense. And you know, what's crazy is that Heather McCracken is an eating disorder dietitian in San Diego. She and I both went to school together, both got degrees in anthropology. I'm almost sure she did too. No, she was BBB, Biological Basis of Behavior. But the two people who went to Penn my year and became, we both became eating disorder dietitians. Wow. That's very cool. That's very cool. So it makes, it actually makes sense that you're like an expert in this particular field of dietetics because they're, like I said before, there's so many different like, uh, you know, ways to look at it is so complicated. And like, it makes sense that you have like all this other knowledge that you brought into the eating disorder stuff because it's so, it's well, just- Also, I did a lot of continuing education too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I can't discount that. I did a lot of continuing education with Francie White and um, I did a lot, you know, with intuitive eating and um, Ellen for therapists, like things that were not, oh, Monica Woolsey is another one things that were not targeted toward dietitians, but were targeted toward therapists yeah. about OCD. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I valued about the Renfrew conference. You mentioned your supervisor giving you, you know, a brochure about Renfrew. Um, that conference, you know, they had, they always had a nutritionist track, but I barely ever went to those sessions. I went to the sessions that were for therapists because that's where you learn about traumatic experiences and obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety and depression. And, things that are so interrelated with eating disorders, but maybe aren't typically in a, in a nutritionist track, let's say at a conference. Right. And you almost can't really separate them. Like they really need to be taught. Yeah. That's, I guess that's where maybe the dietetic field is, is lacking because they don't know how to integrate it. That's what I think. Okay. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, so you started your private practice and it, it sounds like it took off right away. Like you had a full caseload slowly building. And that, and now your, your business is so much more than that, right? Like there's, you speak and you have these courses. So how did that happen? Okay. So it was a transition over time. What happened is um, I started answering a lot of questions, a lot of dietitian questions on listservs and things. This was like right when listservs kind of got started. And so I'd answer people's questions and then I would be invited to speak at a conference and then I'd meet more people. And over time, there were just a lot of people asking me questions about eating disorders. And so that's when I came up with the idea to do eating disorders boot camp, mm -hmm. do a workshop. And it, it actually went fine the first time there were eight dietitians that came. And then there were other dietitians that said, you know, I'm not going to make it to your workshop in Dallas, but would you ever bring it to Montana? Or would you ever bring it to LA? And I hadn't thought of it that way in the beginning. I just thought I'm going to have this workshop. But then I wrote, you know, I would say, well, all I need is a place to give a talk. And, you know, if you can recruit some dietitians or therapists who want to attend, I'll go. So that's how that started. It was just this idea to do this one-time thing and then it ended up, you know, being really popular. And then over time, 
I started doing consulting work with addiction treatment centers that wanted to open eating disorder facilities. And then I would do a lot of training and speaking on their behalf. And so at some point I got really busy and overwhelmed with conference speaking and spokesperson speaking. And so I, my office manager, Selena has been with me almost as long as my husband. So 17 years. Wow. 17 years. And so I asked her, what do you think I should do? I'm kind of going, you know, in circles here. And she said, why don't you just temporarily stop taking on new patients? And I thought, well, that's a good idea. It's hard, of course, to say no, mm -hmm. right? When you're, you know, worried, what if people stop? But I, I thought that was a good idea. So I stopped taking new patients and then I ended up never actually starting taking new patients again. So it was a two year process of phasing out my private practice by, you know, people moving, moving on or going to a different state or going to college or something like that. And after two years, I closed my practice and was just speaking 100% um, wow. and consulting. And then you wanted to know, because I'm taking a walk down memory lane here. Oh, no, I, I think this is great. I wanted to know how that, okay. that how that started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love memory lane. That's my favorite. Yeah, okay. So then um, in 2016, I was laid off. I had taken a full-time consultation with an addiction treatment center and was laid off in a phone call, like out of the clear blue sky. And that was really shocking. And I, shocking to the system, you know, and I'm I just so didn't sorry. know what I would do. Thank you. Thank you for appreciating that. Um, and I, I try to share that experience um, with anyone I can that's going through a transition like that because it's awful when you're going through it and mm -hmm. everyone gets through it, but it, it helps, I think, just to know that other people that maybe you even admire have been through it. And on that note, I will say during that period of time, I was invited to speak at Fancy at a career career something presentation and they put together four dietitians in different areas to speak. And I called the organizer of it and I said, I just got laid off. I mean, if you don't want me to speak at Fancy anymore, like I'm okay with that because I can't really talk about my career because I have no career right now. And she's so hey. cool. Her name is Mary Beth Cavanaugh. And she said, no, people want to hear about that. Like you have a career, you just, the next step is, so I go to Fancy and no kidding, the first person in this four person session, the first person, first dietitian stands up and she says, the day after I agreed to give this presentation, I went to work. She was like the editor of Cooking Light magazine or one of those magazine shows. I went to work the next day and my boss said, we're closing down the magazine. And I called Mary Beth Cavanaugh and I said, are you sure you don't want me to speak at Fancy? <laughs> so in a row. There's four speakers. The first one says, I got laid off the day after this presentation was scheduled. The second one is me saying, I got laid off. The third one is an awesome dietitian named Chris Moore who says, I'll just pipe in. He's like, I haven't gotten laid off lately, but I did once write an article for um, a magazine and the editor said something like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm not even wasting my time editing it. Like it was so awesome because he, it was, she was right that like, yeah. yeah, you can have your success all day long and that's great and inspiring, but hearing that people who you think of as a success have also had like these horrible low moments depersonalizes it a little bit when it happens to you, like, mm -hmm. oh, it happens to anyone who's anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I just, so I'm glad, I really am glad that I did take that walk down memory lane because hopefully maybe it will help someone. And so there I am wondering what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And, you know, should I start a private practice again? Or, you know, what should I do next? And then my friend Gail Welter calls and says, I know you're not doing eating disorders boot camp anymore, but could you maybe just do one for me and my team at U of A? Like, we really need you. And I was like, <laughs> eating disorders boot camp next generation was born. So wow. it all worked out. Yeah. So, so I, I want that for a couple years. Sorry, yeah, there's a little lag. I'm sorry. I just want to thank you for sharing that because I think it does humanize the experience because like all like I there's so many new, new dietitians trying to start a private practice and they've you know I've been in touch with them they've been in touch with me and it's like it's hard it's scary are people gonna like you your ego's on the line and like yeah and you and you had such a such a rich career and those things do happen and and yes eating disorder boot camp next generation was born but during that time it's really scary oh, yeah no it was awful there was some very aggressive stress gardening happening at that time and I would literally be in my front yard, like digging up weeds or something at like nine o'clock in the morning and people would drive by and I would think I live on kind of a, not a major road, but a street, you know, busy street and people would drive by and I think, oh my God, they're totally looking at me and saying, doesn't that lady have to go to work? Like what is she mm -hmm. doing in the middle of the morning? And I actually said that out loud at some point to maybe my husband or a friend or something and they said, I seriously doubt, like, I don't want to upset you, but I seriously doubt anyone even notices you. <laughs> they are not thinking, doesn't that lady have to go to work? Like, if anything, they're like, that's the life, like, garden nine o'clock right. in the morning. Right. It was such a good reframe. It just made me realize all those negative thoughts were all mine. Mm -hmm. Everyone pulled over their car and said, lady, you need to go to work. Like, it was all me. And mm -hmm how mean I was to myself about, you know, how I was such a failure for getting laid off or what if I, you know, and I was pretty indignant too. Like I really didn't feel like I had done anything wrong, but it was just such a disappointment and such an ego blow. And mm -hmm. what if, what if, even though I knew I didn't do anything wrong, other people in the field think I did something wrong and that's why I got laid off. And I just, I could totally go down this rabbit hole of just making stuff up. So I really... Mm -hmm. I, I understand how that can just be set, such a blow if that happens to you. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm here to say, let's see, that was 2016. Now it's 2021. I'm fine. I'm mm -hmm. absolutely fine. And now is actually um, doing consulting or counseling or supervising. You could call it a lot of different things, coaching of other eating disorder dietitians by phone. Mm -hmm. So outside at nine o'clock in the morning and aggressively garden um <laughs> so it worked out fine I ended up never going back into an office and you know so it just became different a different way of using my same skills wow that's a I'm very moved by your like story and honesty really like I think that and just maybe even in terms of eating disorders you know like those intrusive thoughts are a lot of times what like kicks us when we're down right and that's and that could be even if some someone like you who obviously had a very very prestigious career and there was a hiccup in the road yeah I think that that one of the things that maybe sets me apart because you had sent me over some questions and you said what's one of the things that sets you apart and I don't think that this is sets me apart from other eating disorder dietitians because I think a lot of eating disorder dietitians are like this but I think what sets all of us eating disorder dietitians apart from 
maybe other professions or I don't know what the right word is, is that we don't, we don't separate ourselves. Like we're all people, we're all eaters, just like our clients. And we're all people with bodies who might have body image issues, just like our clients. And we, we might even be perfectionists, just like our clients. Like mm -hmm. we don't necessarily sit in a session and talk about ourselves and our own experiences. It's, it's not meant to be like a spotlight on me during a session with a client. But every once in a while, you can, even if you don't talk about yourself, just the fact that you, you can understand someone's experience because you've had something similar to it, I think helps. And then also, even if you've never had an experience exactly like someone, but you felt like a person who didn't know how to talk about your experience, you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, it's like, I feel like we don't, we, it's almost like if you said like, I'm a yoga teacher who doesn't do yoga, right? Mm -hmm wouldn't make any sense I feel like there's there's people not just not dietitians necessarily but there's people who is kind of like I do my job but that's totally separate from who I am as a person and maybe mm -hmm. we're trained to work that way we're supposed to you know be a blank slate and I think that the truth is people really appreciate you just being a person you know laughing and you know again not necessarily like telling all your stuff when you're supposed to be listening to someone but just sharing like, yeah, I've been in a situation like that. I can tell how hard, just like what you said, you know, to me, I think that those are the things that make us relate well to other people. And I think that's what people have responded to, to me in my career, even if I'm the only dietitian they've ever met, that idea of like, wow, you're really a real person. You're not trying to give the impression that you're a perfect eater. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that I got on this call with you finishing my English muffin, like, you didn't say like, what time is it in Dallas? What are you doing eating right now? You know what I mean? It's right, like right. humans. And I feel like in answer to what sets us apart, I feel like that's the thing is that we try to practice what we do. And like, I just, this is maybe TMI, but recently I was, um, I had a med check with my sleep doctor and because I'm not going into the office, they said in advance, like, please check your weight and your pressure or something. And, um, so I did, I stepped on a scale at my mom's house um, and it bothered me for a couple of weeks, even though it's exactly the same as my weight is exactly the same as whatever it was last time I saw that doctor. And last time I saw the doctor could be always comments. Oh, your weight's exactly the same, which mm -hmm. why that is so notable. I don't know, but I mean, the same person, but right. then this piece of paper that was something about what my weight was, it was like for a medical appointment and I was just cleaning up my office and it was from something like 15 years ago and my weight is not the same as it was 15 mm -hmm. years ago. I've walked around with that knowledge for a couple of weeks really annoying me until finally I was able to kind of work it through and and you know realize like well you're an adult woman and you know you're you're gonna change and mm -hmm. whatever it is is fine. It was just so weird how it affected me and it made me really like mad part of me like you know better and la 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 all that but then the other part was if even you who does this every day can be affected by that then use that information to understand how challenging it is for someone who doesn't know all the things you know about the racial origins of BMI or who doesn't know all the things that you know about you know corporate America always trying to make you not feel good enough so you'll buy more stuff you know mm -hmm. and I think that's where I guess I'm saying, even if we never talk about that in a session with clients, 
the fact that we totally get that we are part of the same group instead of us and them. Like I heard someone on TV once say, oh, these people, these people with anorexia, they probably didn't even say these people with anorexia. It was like these anorexics, these people, mm. they're lying. And I just remember thinking, <sighs> you could be talking about someone, one of the people who's interviewing you right now. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely people with anorexia watching this show and you just called them all liars. That's yeah. so dumb. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing that's setting yourself apart that I don't like. And I like that what sets us apart. Now I got like how this came full circle. What sets us apart is that we don't set ourselves apart. Yeah. We're just part of humans that are in this mess together. Yes, that's beautiful. That's actually, I said this on the podcast before that I've had moments where I've looked in the mirror and been like, what is wrong with my stomach? It's so much bigger than it's ever been. Like just like and then like bringing that to my own therapist and being like I'm such a hypocrite like this is what I treat you know and then her obviously so nice and compassionate saying like this is why you treat it like you get it and that's normal and what would you say to a client and like I I, I say this on the podcast and I and I'm open about it and I think it's so important because we all are like exactly what you said we're all in this together we're all living like a lot of us live in america or anywhere in the world diet culture is really strong thin ideal is really strong and we're all affected and it's it's real can you talk a little bit about um like how you feel about intuitive eating health at every size like what what what's that like for you so um you know the thing that i get frustrated about as you know, thinking about anthropology and lots of people, I don't know if anyone listening to this, but lots of people who've heard me speak have heard my spiel about anthropology includes linguistics. And mm -hmm. so the words and the way words develop to have meanings, like why is this a hand, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I believe you're Jewish. I am yeah. Jewish too. And, you know, if you've grown up in any kind of Jewish day school where you learn, you know, or yeshiva or anything, you learn that there's like a thousand meanings in any one word in the Torah, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. I feel like words have that power to mean so many different things. And so health at every size, intuitive eating, um, FBT, it's always to me so important to hear what the other person means when they say those words. So that's the, the beat that I have with the world is, you know, to take something like intuitive eating and then bastardize it into intuitive fasting is like, you can't even understand what the word intuitive eating means or the phrase if you think it could somehow be converted into that. And so um, so what I think about them is they're great ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the concepts, the way they were written. I love the adaptations that have been made by the original authors. I love the idea of you know, respecting people regardless of what they eat, regardless of what their size is, regardless of what they weigh. I love the idea of a weightless society. Um, I love all of that. And at the same time, I hate how people have sort of taken those different words and tried to bend them and make them mean whatever they want them to mean that ends up sort of pointing back toward the diet industry or right. diet. Right, right. I totally hear that. I think that that's just going to happen with anything, right? Because diet culture is so strong and that anything, most people, when they call me, even though they know what I do, they ask me, well, what about weight loss? And I'm like, did you read the book? Like, you know, like, and they're like, yeah, I read the book. And I'm like, right. So, so we're actually not focusing on weight, but it's so, it's so hard for us to even fathom that. Like so many, like I even told a client recently that like family members or people in my life will bring up their weight or bring up their dieting and that's fine. They're allowed to do whatever they want, but obviously there's um, 
misunderstanding of what intuitive eating is, if that, if that could even take place, you know? So like ask, I'm asked to put them on a diet or I'm asked to, you know, praise their weight loss. Like, I'm not going to do that, but I'm not going to shame them for that either. So there's, there's also, I think that balancing piece of like, you know, we can't take anything to an extreme. And that's, I think what we're, I think what we're all trying to do is to sort of like, again, integrate it. Well, and that, I think that's an interesting point because there could be someone who takes one of those philosophies so far to the extreme that they end up excluding people and really that's the opposite of what those philosophies were intended to do. So it's sort of like I once heard um, the rabbi at my shul on Rosh Hashanah maybe talk about like, um, like people who say they kill in the name of God. And he said, if, if you heard God tell you to kill someone, then you misunderstood. Like it's right, kind of like right, that. Right, that, right. Those two things cannot exist, coexist together. So if you if you somehow got out of intuitive eating that you'll be a better person if you lose weight, somehow you have misunderstood, right? right. Or if you out of to what you took away from health at every size is that people aren't allowed to do healthy behaviors if they accidentally result in weight loss, then you are you are not understanding health at every size. Health at every right. size does not say weight loss is always bad. It right. just said, no matter what your size, can you please do healthy behaviors? I kind of wish health at every size was called health care at every size, or even like follow your own North star at every size. Like somehow health at every size, it's just so easy to get misunderstood. Right. You know? Like, are you saying you can be healthy every, any size or, right. I don't know, just Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's through their own lenses, I guess, regardless of how wholesome the original idea was. Yeah, that's true. And I, I will say that a lot when I talk to clients or people in general, like, okay, intuitive eating might've been a little misconstrued on the Instagram today, like the feed. And that's why like you're here. And that's why you're bringing up these questions and how, and, and, and again, like just, just like we are taught in school that every client's different, every story is different. And that's true. So we see the same thing with, I think Paige Smathers, she talks about this a lot. I love it. The nuances of intuitive eating. Like you can't, you can't separate that. There's every person will, some people do lose weight. Some people gain weight. Some people stay the same. Nothing's bad. Nothing's good. Like we're just like, you know. Well, and you're reminding me of a, a talk I once went to and there was a dietitian there and she was just insistent that everyone, everyone, everyone should be able to do intuitive eating and there are no exceptions. And you know, I just thought, well, I don't think that's true either. I mean, there are people who have, you know, Prater Willie and they're never, they're just completely not registering feelings of satiety. So that's just not available to them. Now, could they ditch the diet mentality? Sure. Could they practice gentle nutrition? Sure. But she was using intuitive eating to mean like this, essentially a diet where you eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. And that that intuitive eating, even if you're right. using right. right, yes. Okay, I love the, I love the, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I I love that, like pulling it apart. I think that's really powerful for people to hear, like, because, and, and I and I believe Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Rush would agree, and I've heard them, I trained with them, and I heard them talk, and it's, it's important for people to hear this, that there's that nuance, and there's that uh, individualism, individualizing of care with intuitive eating and not not to say like I'm going to take this from intuitive eating but not that but really making it you know fit into your life like meeting yourself where you're at you know meeting the client where they're at 
and and asking the client when you say you're really interested in intuitive eating tell me what you mean just mm -hmm. like if i ate too much and you say well help me understand what you mean when you say too much because you can't just assume that too much is what you would equate as too much or even if they felt like it was too much but there's another part of them that actually knows it wasn't too much like you can hold both of those in your mind i feel like i weigh too much but i know what i weigh is fine or i feel like i ate too much but i know what i right and so we mm -hmm. have to really so many more questions and i think that's something that dietitians really struggle with is asking questions and listening we don't struggle to do it we struggle afterwards and thinking but did i give enough information did i give enough handouts and oh i feel like talking dietitians down from a ledge all day long about did i give enough information and it's you know i think part of our strength is not just bombarding people with information but really winnowing it down into what is the one to two to three pieces of information that will actually be practical in their life if it was just a bombardment of information you want then the internet and google are available for free all day long right. i guess right. free if you right. and a computer but you know like if you want personalized information you have to listen you have mm. to be able to listen to some hear what's going on and sometimes our strength is in holding back on that bombardment of information until we know exactly the pieces that will help someone but i do think dietitians find that very challenging sometimes yeah i think that that's where maybe the counseling piece is like really important like i i think even dina cohen said to me like when i was first starting i can't do this i don't know what i'm gonna say what am i gonna do she's like you listen and you hold space and that's the first and most important thing i'm like really i didn't know that right and i used to if i would think of something to say i'd like scribble it in my margin so it would be like that's where it's gonna stay until it's my turn i love that because you really have to, you, you really have to sort of build that bridge. Now, I will also say that another thing I talk with dietitians about all the time is you also can't just be a listener. You can't abdicate your role as a nutrition professional, you know, and say, well, I just listened all day to someone who's eating two calories a day, or I just listened all day to someone who, you know, I don't know what. And, you know, you, you have to intervene right? I mean, you do have to say, like, how is that working for you? And, you know, match it to their goals. I heard you say that you're running out of energy um, when you're, you know, jogging. And I feel like it makes sense to me because of XYZ to get. Or, you know, also dietitians, I feel like get really worried, especially intuitive eating dietitians, health at every size, anti-diet dietitians, get really worried about telling someone I, you know, you're eating too much. Well, you don't have to tell someone you're eating too much. You can say, you know, it sounds like um, you're, you know, there, there aren't a lot of blank in your day. You know, you can say as a dietitian, like, I, I'm not hearing anything about any kind of fresh produce in your day. And I'm wondering if there's an issue there. So is it, you know, and try to investigate. Maybe they don't know how to shop for produce or maybe it all goes bad in their fridge or, you know, who knows? And you can work it out. But I feel like dietitians sometimes are scared to bring it up because they don't want it to sound like I'm shaming you. Mm -hmm. because, you know, that kind of thing. And to me, the key is someone's coming to you for advice. If you walk around on the street and you're like, excuse me, sir, you're not eating enough produce. That is a real boundary violation. Okay. But if someone comes to you for advice and they're not eating any fresh fruits or vegetables or any whatever, 
you know, for you to say, tell me more about this. I've noticed that, you know, this is something that, you know, typically um, I would think of as, you know, very exceptional, but in your case, you really don't eat any of those. I I'm curious about that. And just open in your mind. Maybe it's the way it tastes. Who knows? Maybe it's mm. the way it smells. Maybe it's that they were poor when they were growing up and didn't have money for it and how to cook it. Like, who knows? So, but I do feel like dietitians sometimes don't want to venture into that at all because we make up in our heads, if I say anything, you know, about, about nutrition, then somehow I'm criticizing someone's eating. So I feel like it has to be a balance between, you know, not giving so much information that you overwhelm people, but not giving no information so that you're just sitting there like, uh-huh, very right. interesting, very right. interesting, and not right. actually giving any Right. I guess that's really the nuance uh, a little bit of like, we're not the therapist. Yeah. So like, well, yeah. And I think our job is the best kind, honestly, because as a therapist and I have ha had multiple great therapists, I do at the end of the day, feel like behind what we say is science, right? We mm -hmm. can fall back on science. So, you know, it's like, I have information to give you and I'm a good listener too. It's like we have the best of both worlds, you know, so if someone says, you know, well, I don't know, I don't want to eat any fruits or vegetables, we can say, well, my concern is that there may not be enough fiber in what you're eating for, to have a healthy microbiome or to have a healthy digestive system. You know, we don't have to say you're bad because you don't want those things, but science says, you know, nutritional mm -hmm. says those are important things for, you know, nourishment and health. So, I feel like we, we get it, we have it all, right? We get to be a good listener, we get to build a good rapport, and then we get to give good information. And and the example I always give, I'm sure I gave this in boot camp, is that you know, if you said something like, Well, I have this significant other, they're really mean to me whenever we eat, they always tell me I'm eating too much. And, you know, as a therapist, I feel like a therapist has to talk to you about like your relationship and is this kind of how you want to proceed in a relationship or how do you want to set a boundary or blah blah. And we're dietitians and we just say, that stinks. How are you going to eat tonight? Like, do you need to eat dinner before your significant other gets home? Do you right. need to, like, we're just very practical. And I love that. So we get to be the advice giver in a kind way, but it's actually this practical advice. And I, I don't know, I may be misrepresenting what therapists do, but um, because I've never, but I feel right. like, no, I don't think like as are. a dietitian, we just, we have that, we have that very awesome sort of special ability to listen and then we get our turn where we get to give our advice to thank you for making me very excited about my profession <laughs> i like that reframe um yeah. so i can actually talk to you for like the next five hours but i don't want to keep you but i do want you to share like what's what's going on with you now any upcoming classes how could people get in touch with you if they want supervision okay so the easiest thing is jessicasetnik.com. That's sort of the umbrella where everything I do branches out from. I do have uh, several different pots that I stir. I joke with my husband, why can't I have all these ideas and then just not follow through like normal people? Um, but things <laughs> that I do that dietitians that are listening might be interested in. One is a nonprofit that I founded called IFED. It's the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians. So ifedd.com or .org, any of them will get you there. And it's only $25 to join. And it's a great community of 800 eating disorder dietitians all around the world, mostly in North America, but anywhere. And you're welcome to join. It's, yes. uh, if, if 
financially it's any kind of barrier, we can waive the joining fee, but we have a listserv that's very active where people give advice. We have a treatment finder where consumers can find you by geography. We have tons of resources on the members only section of the website. So if someone says, what books should I read? And you can look on there and you can say, there's like a list of resources for, let's say, body positivity podcast. There's a, another list of resources for like non-binary parents of men with eating disorder. I mean, it's just, there's all these kind of categories. It's awesome. So IFED is one. Another thing that I do is called eatingdisorderjobs.com. And that is not just job listings in the eating disorder field, which we're building back up after COVID, but also so there's tons of profiles of experts in the eating disorder field, dietitians, therapists, all different kinds of positions. So if that's, if that's the area you want to work in, there's lots of advice that people give on how to get started or how to keep going or what books to read. So that's awesome and a great free resource to just dig around on there one day. I also wrote a book called A Dietitian's Guide to Professional Speaking expert advice for pitching, presenting, and getting paid. And I'm working on working that into a workbook and some other things. So the main thing right now is, of course, you know, you can read the book, but there's a section on the website, it's dietitianspeakers.com, and there's tons of profiles of dietitian speakers and how they got their start and what their suggestions are. And then is there something else? Oh, okay, supervision, CEDRD supervision or other supervision and um, eating disorders boot camp, all those you can find from jessicasetnick.com, but I'll put the links in my bio. So there's, you know, eating disorders bootcamp.com, there's cedrd.com, there's, you can find me in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons. But if someone wants to email me, they can just do jessica at jessicasetnick.com and I'll point you in the right direction. Okay, great. And I highly recommend the boot camp. It's, I have it and I've listened to it a few times and it's incredible. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking thank the time. You for inviting me. It was so much fun. Thank you. Same. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.